And we looked this morning at making the right choices, and you got to be intentional about what you're going to focus on and what you're not going to focus on. I was thinking about this. No baby is born and says to their mother at birth, thanks, Mom, I appreciate you doing that for me, right? Uh, we're not born grateful. <laughs> Matter of fact, babies are born and they start screaming because they want something, right? They want whatever it is. And um, grateful people make a decision somewhere along the line to be intentional. So let me give you a few thoughts here tonight um, before we let you go. We're in Deuteronomy chapter number 6. I want to have a word of prayer and then we'll read some verses from Deuteronomy 6. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for meeting with us already through singing and through interaction with your people. And Lord, what a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord and to just encourage one another in you. And Lord, we ask you now to do what only you can do tonight. Lord, I, again, I, I can't help anyone, but I know you can. Spirit of God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts. You know exactly where we are and you know where we have tendencies to, to be ungrateful. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as we look at these passages and to draw us to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse number 4. The Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thine soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. Now notice this verse here, verse number 12. Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. The first challenge is an I don't remember mentality. We have a tendency to forget. By the way, I think it's important to try to keep some kind of a journal or some kind of a log with the good things that the Lord has done. Uh, this evening when we were in our deacons meeting, we were just looking at the finances and we were remembering, boy, isn't it amazing what God has done? Now, now don't leave here thinking we have a million dollars in the bank. All right, we don't have a million dollars in the bank. We forget the goodness of God. And the children of Israel were warned, hey, keep in front of you God and God's goodness. Look at Psalm 106. Psalm 106. In Psalm 106, we read the story concerning the children of Israel. And the Bible says the issue really is they forgot. In Psalm 106 and verse number 4, the psalmist says this, Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation. 
that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers, we've committed iniquity, we've done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt, they remembered not the multitude of thy mercies. They remember not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, God's good. He saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. Look at what God did. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it was dried up. He led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him that hated him. He saved them from the Egyptians and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemy. Not only did God get them through, but God destroyed their enemies there by covering them with the water there. And you know the story. There was not one of them left. Then believed they his words. They sang his praise. You read the song in Exodus chapter 14. But look at the next verse. And it only took just a few days before they began to complain. They soon forget. I like that word, forget. His works. They waited not for his counsel. But lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. He gave them their request but sent leanness to their soul. Look at verse 21. Verse 20, thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forget God, their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. We need to remember the goodness of the Lord in our lives. And again, I think it's important, maybe some come on a, jo- a journal, some kind of where you're praising God. I think it's good, by the way, to keep specific prayer requests. If you say, Lord, would you bless, let's pick on Richard. Lord, would you bless Richard? Would you bless him all over? Would you bless him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet? How are you going to know if God answered that prayer? Well, maybe Richard could come in on Wednesday night and say, I just feel blessed from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. You see, sometimes our prayers are too generic. We're out there somewhere. But if you said, hey, Richard said, hey, I, I, my arm, or I need to go see a doctor for my arm or whatever, and, and you pray specifically about that, he comes back and says, hey, guess what? God healed my arm. You see, you say, wow, God specifically answered this prayer. And I think we've, how did George Mueller experience, they say in, in, in writing, 50,000 prayers answered. And many of them were on the day that he asked because he kept a record of it, because he would write down prayer. By the way, you want to encourage yourself in your relationship with God? You mark down things that you're asking God to do, and you go back and you look at it and you say, answer, answer, answer. You can look at a year and you can see God answering many, many, many prayer requests. And boy, that encourages us not only that God is is for us, which he is for us, but that encourages us to say, I'm going to ask God for more and for more. You see, God answers prayer and God does. We just forget. (laughs) Henry, remember what you had for dinner last night. Come on, a few of you. All right. How about last Saturday? Uh, Yeah, me neither. Okay. Some of you 
You're hurting my illustration, Burl. <laughs> she probably wrote it down. I had for dinner this year. <laughs> the reality is, it's okay to forget what you had for dinner. All right, that's okay. But I tell you this, it's not okay for us on our Christian walk to forget the goodness of God on our lives on a regular basis. That's what God says the issue is. He says, hey, tie it around your fingers, put it on your forehead. Why? Don't forget. Because when, you, when things get to go going good... And, and, and the houses and everything smooth sailing, you forget God. Do you pray more when things are going good or when things aren't going good? And some of you say, well, sometimes I pray more when things aren't going good. That's God's way of getting a hold of you. You see, I think we ought to pray just as much when things are going good as when things aren't going good. But we have a tendency to forget. The Literary Digest, September 1923, wrote this, history knows no disaster which parallels the earthquake and fire that visited Japan this month and laid waste the capital city and chief seaport. The New York Tribune called this earthquake undoubtedly the greatest disaster in recorded time. New York Times described the earthquake as covering about 45,000 square miles, which contained five big cities and a population of 7 million. Other dispatches reported that virtually every building in Yokohama, in Yokohama was destroyed. Perhaps three-fourths of Tokyo was burned, and the entire city, with its 5 million inhabitants, was shattered by the earthquake. A joint survey made by Herbert Hoover and the Red Cross estimated the dead at almost 300,000 with 2.5 million people homeless. Disease and despair rode through the entire empire. Then help came. Help came from America for the helpless. Food, clothing, medical supplies, volunteer workers came by the shipload. The American Cross collected $10 million from the people of the United States for the suffering and homeless. Those who lived through the awful earth tremors, the gigantic waves, and the tongues of fire must perish, it seemed, from starvation or disease. Well, but what happened? America remembered, remembered their need, their suffering, their hunger. They were grateful. They even put their appreciation in writing. Walter Kierman, correspondent for the International News Service, recalls their words. Japan will never forget what America did. But Japan did forget. American ships of mercy were forgotten and the rising sun sent planes of destruction in return on December 7, 1941. Not too many years later, Japanese airplanes brought death and destruction to Pearl Harbor. And the rising sun proclaimed that America, brought to her knees, would beg for mercy. We forget. One commentator said this, an unthankful and complaining spirit is an abiding sin against God and a cause of almost continual unhappiness. And yet how common such a spirit is. How prone we seem to, be, to, to forget the good that life knows and remember and brood over its evil. We forget its joys and think only of its sorrows to forget thankfulness and remember only to complain. We must remember. We must not 
forget the goodness of God in our lives on a regular daily basis. Number two, I want you to see this. We're going to stay in the book of Deuteronomy for this thought as well. Deuteronomy chapter number eight. And I don't remember attitude. Secondly, I want you to see an I did it attitude or mentality. I did it. In Deuteronomy 8, chapter number, chapter number 8, beginning at verse number 11, we read a warning again. It says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, thy silver and thy gold is multiplied. Verse 14, thy heart be lifted up. Thou forget the Lord thy God. Verse 15, who led thee through the wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought where there was no water. Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee and prove thee to do good at the latter end. And now say, look at verse number 17 now. And thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto his fathers, as it is this day. Sometimes we experience the blessing of life. Sometimes we, uh, you make money or whatever, and things get better, and you accumulate wealth or whatever. And sometimes there's a tendency for us to think, I did this. You know, God gave you the ability. God gave you the brains. God gave you favor in the eyes of the individuals that are hiring to do you to do whatever you're doing. You see, we need to remember that it is not us. And the scriptures here remind us, hey, it's not us, it's God. God gives us the strength. God gives us the health. Look at Daniel chapter number 3. I want you to see an illustration of this in the book of Daniel chapter number 3. You're familiar with his story. But as soon as I thought about this, I, my mind went to this story. Actually, it's Daniel 4. Did I say Daniel 3? Daniel 4. Verse number 28. Nebuchadnezzar is the king at the time. King of Babylon. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built? For the house of the kingdom, by the might of my power, for the honor of my majesty. And of course, this was predicted, obvious in a vision that was given to Daniel, that Nebuchadnezzar was going to be humbled. And in verse number 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, To thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. You see, he got, can we, can we use the term, he got too big for his britches. He thought, hey, I had something to do with this. And I am, Acts chapter 12. You don't have to turn there if you want. You can. Acts chapter 12, you see a similar story. Herod comes out. Herod thinks that he's the man. 
The Bible says in verse 21 of Acts 12, And upon a set day Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of God, and not of man. And immediately, God doesn't share his glory with anybody. And the Bible says, Immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. He was eaten of worms, and gave up the ghost. And I love the next verse. The word of God grew and multiplied. Harry, you ain't going to stop the word of the Lord. You're not going to stop it. What does God do in Herod's case? What does God do in Nebuchadnezzar's case? He humbles them both. There's no place for us to take credit for what God has done. But sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we can be lifted up with pride, and we can say, hey, I did this. It's about me. And if I'm great, why do I need to be thankful? If I got it all together, why do I need anybody else? It's, it's a dangerous mindset, but a lot of folks fall into that mindset. And we need to be careful when it comes to that matter of success and what God allows. I think sometimes the reason why God gives us uh, enough to eat uh, where we're not stealing and not too much where we're, because the Lord knows. If he gives us too much. You study, uh, I remember doing a, uh, uh, getting some information on somebody that did a study on people that won the lottery. You think, oh, if I could just have a million dollars. It is amazing how many of those individuals went broke. It's amazing how many of those individuals committed suicide. It's amazing when you study the lives of some of them, it wrecked them. And God keeps us <laughs> where, where we won't wreck ourselves. But it's God that gets the credit. It's God that gets the glory. I read a story about an agnostic a guy. I don't need God. While crossing the Atlantic on an ocean liner, F.B. Meyer was asked to address the first class passengers. At the captain's request, he spoke on answered prayer. This agnostic who was present at the service was asked by his friends, what do you think of that guy's sermon? I don't believe a word of it, he said. That afternoon, Meyer went to speak uh, to the fourth class passengers. Many of the listeners at this morning address went along, including the agnostic who claimed he just wanted to hear what the babbler had to say. Before starting for the service, the agnostic put two oranges in his pocket. On his way, he passed an elderly woman sitting in her deck chair fast asleep. Her hands were open, and in the spirit of fun, he put the two oranges in her outstretched palms. After the meeting, he saw the old lady happily eating one of the pieces of fruit. He said, you seem to be enjoying that orange. Yes, sir, she replied. My father is very good to me. Your father? Surely your father can't still be alive. Praise God, she replied. He's very much alive. What do you mean, said the agnostic. She explained, I'll tell you, sir, I've been seasick for days. I was asking God somehow to send me an orange. I suppose I fell asleep while I was praying. When I awoke, I found he had not only sent me one orange, but two. The agnostic was speechless. And later God used it in his life to convert him to Jesus Christ. Hey, it's God. It's not us. It's him. One more passage of scripture, Matthew chapter number 20. Matthew chapter number 20. 
an I deserve it mentality. You're familiar with this story. Matthew chapter number 20 and verse number 1. For the kingdom of, of heaven is like unto a man which is an householder which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing in the idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard. And whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour, and he did likewise. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said unto them, Why stand ye here all day idle? They said unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when he was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his stewards, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. Now isn't it interesting, he starts with the last and not the first. Had he started with the first, the first might have left, and not seen what the last got. But he starts with the last. Interesting. And so the last comes in. When they came and were hired about the 11th hour, they received every man a penny. Imagine being there at the beginning of the day, early, thinking what you're going to get. You think, if that guy gets a penny, I've been here a whole lot longer than that guy. Surely I'm going to get more. When the first came, verse number 10, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, these last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Look at verse number two. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny, he's keeping his side of the bargain. Take that is thine, and go thy way. I will give it unto the last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me? To do what I will with mine own is thine eye evil, because I am good. It's interesting. I thought of the passage in John chapter 21 while we were reading this, where Jesus says to Peter, basically, Peter, you're going to die. You're going to be a martyr. All right. You're going to be crucified. And then he looks at John. He says, well, what's this guy going to do? And Jesus says, don't worry about that guy. If I want him to live till I come again, he'll live. You just focus on you. You focus on yourself. And sometimes we have a tendency to focus this way instead of to focusing this way. And we think we deserve what someone else has. I mentioned this last week, maybe. But to me, it's, it's worth mentioning again. We never want what the guy has that has less than us. I don't think there's any one of us here that is upset or would be upset because someone they know is blind and they're not, or deaf, or in a wheelchair. You see, we always look at someone else's grass and think it's greener. We talked about that last week. We don't deserve anything except to go to hell. We sinned against the holy God that created us. But God, in his love and mercy, saved us. How often do you find yourself thinking, I don't deserve to be treated like that. I don't deserve. I don't. We have sometimes a, 
an inflated view of ourselves. Do you remember the passage in 2 Samuel? For sake of time, I'm not going to turn there. David longed for water from the wells of Bethlehem. You look at that passage and you think, <laughs> I was looking at it this afternoon, and you think, so David says, man, oh, that I had water from the uh, springs of Bethlehem. And his mighty men risk, risk their lives to go, and they get him the water, and they bring it back to him, and, and then he spills it out on the ground. And if you don't think about what's happening there, you can see, man, if I was them guys, I'd be ticked off. The Bible says he pours it unto the Lord. David wasn't worthy for those guys to sacrifice to bring him that water for him to drink it. He pours it unto the one that is worthy. He didn't deserve it. He pours it unto the Lord. You see, God is worthy. Think about the story in Luke 17. The lepers come to Jesus, and he heals ten, right? And he heals ten, and nine of them leave, and they take the healing for granted. They take it for granted. One comes back and thanks the Lord, and he says what? Where are the other nine? You see, we have a tendency to just take things for granted that people do for us. Reality, it's kind of an attitude of, well, I kind of deserve it, <laughs> right? And sometimes we need to take a step back and recognize, hey, I'm humbled by this. I don't deserve this at all. And we have a big time in our society entitlement mentality. You know, when I was a kid, I was talking to this friend of mine who runs races, and uh, he showed me his medals. I said, well, that's cool. You, you won a marathon? Everybody that's in the marathon got a medal. It was a nice-looking medal. <laughs> Everyone that completed the marathon got a medal. Scott, you and I, it might take us three days. We could get a medal. You know what I'm saying? You know, when I was a kid, unless you won, you didn't get anything except a lot of tiredness and a sore muscles. But we've created a mindset where people deserve. They deserve. Have I told you my Chick-fil-A story in a while? Hasn't been. Bro Brother Russ needs to hear this. When we first moved here, when we first moved here, brother, Chick-fil-A, when they had an anniversary, they would give away 26 coupons a half of year of free Chick-fil-A. Now, if it was a grand opening, they would give away 52 number one Chick-fil-A meals. I have six children that love a good time. There were times, brother, over there in Lionville, I can show you, well, I can't show you the place anymore. Well, I guess I can, but they kind of remodeled it all. I can show you the place where we set up our tent. This was all Matt Barfield's doing. He called me up. First time I was here, first year I was here. Pastor, he called me up like 2 in the morning. Hey, you, get, you coming over here? They're giving away free food. You know, you coming over? There was one time we had 200, was it 212? Number one meals at Chick-fil-A. Amen. 200. What do you do with all that? You just go every week. Hey, another coupon. Another coupon. 
they switched how they did all this. I, I got the word because I knew the manager at the time because we were excited. When's the new Chick-fil-A? We threw a football. You know, we set the tent up. Nobody slept in the tent. We stay up all night and roll on in. Hey, where's our coupons? Everybody bring them home. It was a fun time. I wouldn't do it now, though, because my kids are adults now. So they would want to hold their box of free tickets. You know, we put them all into the pot, you know, back then. Here's what happened. First 100 people get coupons. Individual 101 who got up whenever he wanted to get up and rolled on in. You know, he didn't spend the night sacrificing, throwing the football. He complained. And he complained to corporate because he didn't get his coupons. And so they decided, well, we better change how we do things. I don't know how they do it now. But, but back then, it was so complicated that I just said, oh, forget those coupons. And you had to spend the night over on a, on a, a Wednesday night. And I didn't think that y'all would be too fond of me missing Wednesday night church for a coupon. We could have moved the service there. They had a raffle. And I mean, it was entitlement mentality. And we laugh at that. But sometimes we think, you know, God, I deserve more. I deserve bigger. I deserve. And when we get that mindset, that mindset snatches gratefulness right from us. I'll read you one story and we'll close. Mary Dyer was born in 1837 on the mission field in China where her parents were pioneer missionaries. Both her parents died when Maria was a little girl. That in and of itself would have caused or could have caused many a young person to say, I'm done. This happened to me. I'm done. But it didn't. She, she was sent back to England to be raised by an uncle. The loss of her parents didn't deter her young heart from the importance of sharing the gospel. At age 16, she, along with her sister, returned to China to work in a girls' school as a missionary herself. Five years later, she married Hudson Taylor, a man well-known today for his life of ministry, faith, and sacrifice. Hudson and Maria's work was often criticized even by other Christians. She wrote this at one point, as to the harsh, ju harsh judgings of the world or even more painful misunderstandings of Christian brethren, I generally feel that the best plan is to go on with our work and leave God to vindicate our cause. Of their nine children, only four survived to adulthood. Maria herself eventually died of cholera when she was just 43. She believed the cause was worthy of her sacrifice. On her grave marker, she had these words inscribed. Well, I don't know if she had them. They just inscribed them. For her to live was Christ and to die was gain. Often we're very self-absorbed about what we can get instead of what we can give to the work and the glory of God. May God help us to rid ourselves of the I don't remember. Keep journals, do, do whatever we need to do. There's a plaque, by the way, in the door when you leave, right there by the door with regards to this building and what God did. I had that plaque made 
I see it periodically as I, just like you, to remind us of God's miraculous work in providing that building there. And I did it mentality. It's not us. It's him. And we don't deserve anything but to stand of any eternity in hell. But someday we're going to see him and it will be worth it all. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for your love for us. Lord, we're probably a little bit